Blog Talk Radio.
Brighttap chicken waterer. The Brighttap waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Brighttap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Just a cap full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. Introducing ePoultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. ePoultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com. That's www.eanimalproducts.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Bye. 
Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisper brought to you by Combach Feeds. Yes, the chickens, they, they, they really didn't want to get together today and get on their, their choir roosts. Um, they were out scratching and pecking, and I said, come on, girls, gather around. It's time for the show. It's Christmas time. Y'all need to, you know, practice what we do every day. Now, come on. They, they didn't want to cooperate this morning, so I got little beads of sweat trying to gather them around to get them to uh, sing us the Christmas carols for today's show. But, hey, it's all worth it for you, our uh, listeners, all our homeschoolers and over-the-road truck drivers and uh, our archive listeners, live listeners, the stores that stream the show live every day. Thank you very much for doing all of that. We do appreciate it. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor. This will be uh, his last show this year. How about that? We're coming up on uh, 2016, uh, a new year. Looking forward to it. And um, this will wrap it up for uh, Peter Brown for 2015. It's been a great year. We've covered a lot of topics, and we're looking forward to 2016. Today is... Ask the chicken doctor. So uh, we ha- we haven't done the uh, kind of the open mic here in a little while. So we've got about 16 or 17 questions. We'll try to get to them all. All of them were posted on our Facebook page. Plus, if we have uh, any live listeners out there that are interested in asking a question live on the air, your question gets moved to the front of the line. Just give us a call, 347-637-3237. Again, that's 347-637-3237. Thirty-seven. Just call in. We'll get you to the front of the line when we can to ask your chicken health question to Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, during today's show. Let's head over here. We'll do uh, some chickens in the news very quickly here. Um, posted this a few days ago on my Facebook page, and there's been several others, actually, maybe three or four others, but when I click on the link to go to the news article, it's either a paid subscription or uh, there's not a lot of information about it, just not really worth posting. But since I posted this on December 18th, I found at least three or four other. Here we go. Tis the season. Chicken coop buyers that were initiated and caused by um, a uh, dangerous uh, heat lamp. This comes to us from a Missaki County family. They lost 20 chickens and a turkey when their coop burned down early Friday morning. A McBain couple woke up when they noticed a bright glow outside their window at their home. Their coop was engulfed in flames. The couple thinks a heat lamp fell and caused the coop to burst into flames. While they're glad no people were hurt, they say their kids are devastated at the loss of the chickens. We were doing this for the kids. We were teaching them how to raise chickens, and they want to do 4-H, maybe hopefully. Uh, but the kids were really attached to it, and they love to come out and help feed the chickens. The kids are kind of heartbroken. I bet they are. The McBain Fire Department responded when someone driving by called the fire in. Crews were able to put the fire out quickly. So uh, what's the term we've used for years? Killing them with kindness. Um, uh, the heat lamp is where, it, where it's based. Okay, that This is where the danger comes into play. I would walk out maybe on a limb and say 90% of these that we see and that we post are caused by that heat lamp. If you choose to heat your coop, for whatever reason, none of my business. We've already gone through all of that. We've beaten a dead horse regarding that aspect. But if you choose to heat your coop, ditch the dangerous heat lamp this year. Ditch it. Trash can. Okay? Yeah, I get it. They're 12 bucks. I understand. 
How much was that coop worth? How much for devastation to these kids? How much is your house worth? Saw one the other day. I couldn't post it because it was a paid article. Um, where that the, the barn burned down, the house and cars and seventy thousand dollars worth worth of damage um, because of a twelve dollar heat lamp that somebody wanted to uh, buy because they thought it was a good deal. Okay, there are safer alternatives out there, like the sweeter heater we often talk about on this show. Um, yeah, I get it. you're thinking, wow, I can get this for 12 bucks. Here you go. This is what you get for 12 bucks. There you go. Burn down coop, 20 dead chickens, and upset kids. So, um, I mean, what, what, you know, call your homeowner's insurance and see how much your deductible is. I'm sure it's more than $129 for a sweeter heater that can heat your coop safely if you choose to do so. Um, it's just year after year after year after year, it gets old, it gets tired, it gets tired of posting these. But we address this every time I'm on the road on tour, and we do it because it is so important to let people know. You know, And if you're going to use a heat lamp, by golly, I'm telling you right now, and I'll go through it again. If I ever, which is not hardly any time now because i got sweeter heaters if I choose to use them, um, if I ever have to use a heat lamp for any occasion, I don't care what it is, then let me tell you what I'm doing. Okay, I'm going to use the clamp. The clamp, the heat lamp, comes with it now. Clamp it to the ceiling joist. Okay. Then I'm going to get some duct tape and duct tape that clamp to the ceiling joist or the brooder, whatever I'm using. Then I'm going to get another clamp and clamp it above the dump duct tape uh, over the clamp that comes with the heat lamp. Not done yet. Then I'm going to get some chain and some mess hooks, and I'm going to hang it to something above. So if that lamp happens to fall into those shavings to burn my house down, whether I'm brooding chicks or my coop down outside of the backyard... Let me tell you what all has to happen. The brooder lamp clamp has to break. The duct tape has to rip. The extra clamp I put on there has to break. And the chain and hooks have to break and snap all simultaneously to make that lamp fall into the shavings to burn my coop down. Okay, yes, I have pictures of doing this. Oh, that's overkill. Really? Hey, you know, I don't want my house to burn down because I'm raising a few chicks that I bought for 3 bucks a piece. Not going to happen. Okay, now, if you do all that, let me tell you something. Your house still may burn to the ground. Let me tell you why. Over the last two to three years, we have seen an increase. Now, whether that this has always happened or whether we're seeing an increase now because more people are raising backyard poultry and brooding baby chicks, but here's an issue that's come to play in the last couple of years. Okay? If you look at these heat lamp bulbs people are using, 125 watt, 250 watt, red, white, could care less, look at them. Look at the box when you buy them. Look where they're coming from. China. Okay? The adhesive... Okay, the glue, the adhesive that they're using to keep the glass globe part of that bulb into the metal socket that goes and screws into the heat lamp is failing. So now you've secured that lamp to the T's. Okay? You've done all this. You've got the chain. You've got the S-hooks. You've got the tape. You've got the extra clamps. you got all, everything. Okay? And then guess what? This China bulb that's coming out of China, the adhesive, it melts, I guess, because it's getting so hot the glass globe is falling out of the heat lamp into the shavings, catching your coop on fire, or at a minimum breaking into a gazillion pieces. You come home and all your chicks and chickens are eating glass off the ground. Okay, not going to be good for them, I guarantee you that. So now, then that little that little guard that comes on the heat lamp, no, not going to keep the bulb in. You can put the bulb in through that. You can take the bulb out through that. Okay. So now you've got to go and you've got to find some chicken wire, some hardware cloth, wrap it around that guard so the bulb doesn't fall out because they're made in China and the adhesive is not working. 
okay, great. $12 heat lamp, an extra clamp, some duct tape, some S hooks and some chain, and some chicken wire uh, to, to make it somewhat safer. Does all that add up to $129? No, but it's a lot of time. It's a lot of aggravation. And, and because there's so many steps here, people aren't going to do it. Oh, now i got to go back to the hardware store because I forgot this. Oh, I don't have an extra clamp. I guess i got to go get one. Not going to happen. And then the coop burns down to the ground. Okay. So um, sweeter heaters. Okay. Absolutely amazing product. Made in the USA. Family owned. In Wisconsin. Been around for years. Super awesome. 129 bucks. Okay. Budgeted in. Okay. If you have a $4,000 coupe and you claim you can't afford a $129 sweeter heater, you're fooling yourself. Okay? It's, I understand for a lot of people, and we see it every day, that people like spending money on the cooler, fun stuff. I got a $4,000 coupe. I got sweaters. I got chicken swings. Uh, I got all these treats that I'm buying. Oh, you, you actually need to purchase this $40 medication for your birds to try to get them over this respiratory illness. What? 40 bucks for medicine? Really? I can't afford that. Okay, but then you go and buy more uh, mealworms for 86 bucks because you got a 22-pound package of them. Um, I can't afford a sweeter heater. It's $129. Hmm. Okay. Oh, look, I just bought this $300 rare breed hen. It's going to die in the coop fire if you keep using that heat lamp. So it's just very, very aggravating. We beat this dead horse more than we can, but we still have people ignore, oh, that'll never happen to me. Bam! It just did. You have dead chickens. You killed them with kindness. Thank you very much for playing. It's just very, very aggravating. And let me tell you what's going to happen, folks. Okay, All these towns that have recently allowed chickens or maybe they're looking to allow chickens in their backyard, they're going to see all these. They're going to say, you know what? We can't allow this coop fire. This neighbor's house caught on fire because this person had um, had um, uh, chicken coop fire and burned their neighbor's house. We can't, we can't allow this. This is a, a community danger. This is a danger to the people. Don't think it's not going to happen, folks, okay, because it's going to because of these dangerous coop fires year after year after year after year after year. There's no excuse. And how many times do you see on the blogs and forums, oh, that'll never happen to me. I've used them for 10 years, and I've never had a coop fire. Yeah, you just have to know how to mount them safely, <coughs> okay, if I had a dime. <laughs> if I had a dime. So um, just just one of those things. So uh, that's our chickens in the news. Also, it's educational, okay? So ditch the dangerous heat lamps. If you choose to heat your coop um, this winter, go with something that's going to be safer for you, your neighbors, your chickens, and uh, and everyone else this year. The sweeter heater is what we recommend. I know, Peter, we're about to bring him on live. He, uh, he sells those, firststatevetsupply.com, and... Uh, and you can get those. Let me scroll down here to where all our questions are for day. Here we are. Okay, cool. So I can get ready for those. Let me get back over here to the switchboard. We'll bring Peter live on the show. Hey, Peter, thanks for joining us today. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all the above. Yep, same to you, Andy. Yep. Great great to be here. Yep. <laughs> thanks for being here, yep. And uh, um, great show today. We haven't done the... Uh, um, uh, ask the chicken doctor in, in a little while, so this is perfect, and we got several questions, so we can go ahead and uh, uh, get to those. You still got plenty of sweeter heaters in stock? Oh yeah, actually, uh, believe it or not, not moving as well as I thought they would, especially for. Um, I think it probably has to do with the weather in most places not being, you know, uh, as cold as it normally would be. Um, right. But uh, by the same token, we're still offering free shipping, and let me just give people a little bit of insight into that. Uh, the 40-inch suite of heater uh, retails for 126.95. Um, 
and depending on where it's going and everything else, because it is long, it's a 41-inch uh, yeah. long yeah. box that's 12 inches wide by 4 inches uh, in, in height. Uh, obviously, everywhere you ship it, it goes as oversized, and you're looking at you know, you know better than twenty dollars to to ship that, way better than twenty dollars, and um, ours is free shipping, and so technically, um, while you're paying one twenty six ninety five, uh, you're not paying any shipping zero, uh, and as you've searched around on your own and looked around, you've yep. found everybody else adding it in and then telling you it's free shipping. Ours is straight up. Uh, and, um, you know, they're, they're still there. You know, I've got plenty of them. Um, not disappointed with sales, but not selling as, as quickly as I had anticipated. But that's okay. They'll sell. And, um, yep. you know, same thing with the uh, incubators. I get people all the time, you know, the, the price on incubators, you know, it's a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. Still have the Genesis out there at $119.95. Uh, great uh, starter incubator for, for folks. Um, uh, and if you want the Turner with it, you know, the Turner uh Combo, it's you know like 169.95, which is uh, about um, anywhere from 10 to 20, 30 dollars below uh, uh, you know what people are selling them for here, there, and yonder. But uh, it's uh, they're still there, still offering it. Probably offered for quite a while yet. Not any any big hurry to to, uh, to take it off. So still there, still have them. Ship them today, tomorrow, whatever. Um, it's uh, up to the individual. Um, I uh, agree with you uh, as far as the uh, the um, heat lamps and things are concerned. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know in my you know I'm not big into the the thing of of the, the coop house fire. If you're that stupid, then I guess uh, you know um, whatever happens happens. But uh, uh, the, the controversy as to whether you need heat or don't need heat. Uh, I, I look at it a totally different uh, aspect than, than most people. Um, but at any rate, um, if you're going to use one, you might as well use one that's that's safe. And I really like the uh, the new ones this year, not that there was anything really wrong with the old ones, but they've taken their safety a step further. You can't find anything uh, out there that uh, is made for this purpose uh, that has uh, as much safety really built into it. They put a new thermostat in, so if, it, if by chance... Uh, it does fall down into the litter that the heat won't build up under the heater because, remember, it stays at a constant about 185 degrees. Uh, it'll shut itself off. So, I mean, there's an extra added layer. Um, they are a phenomenal company about their uh, their their product. Uh, they take it very seriously. They're very proud of it. Uh, made in America, made in Wisconsin, just like you said. And... Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, if you have any issue whatsoever with it, they are right on it. And uh, I've only, in the years I've been selling them now, going into our fourth year, uh, I've only had uh, one uh, believed issue on a uh, customer's part. Contacted the company, said, you know, tell them, you know, to stop using it. They sent one out immediately to replace that one, and sent out a pickup slip at the same time for the other one. Brought it back to their facility, tested it, found nothing wrong with it. But they said they were just as happy to have it back and know that it was okay, and it didn't cost anybody any money. It cost me anything. Didn't cost the customer anything. Certainly, it cost the sweeter heater people. But they stood behind that product. Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, one thousand percent. And you can't ask for anything better than that. You know, try that with the heat lamp. Yep. Yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. So whether you you know whether so. you get on the bandwagon of you know heat, no heat. Fire, no fire, common sense uh, should prevail. 
uh, and that's the way I look at it. That's what we do here. Um, uh, they're economical. I mean, if you want to get into economics of it, I mean, it's just, uh, 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 you know, the, the most economical one that I've, that I've really seen out there for the purpose that it's intended for. So they're, they're still available. Yep. Sounds good. Thank you for that. And uh, that's mm-hmm. uh, FirstStateVetSupply.com, FirstStateVetSupply.com. Yep. Let's get into our questions here, make sure we get as many done as okay. we can. First one yep. up we comes from comes to us from Aaron. Aaron Moore uh, posted on our Facebook page. I had a flock of nine unvaccinated chicks and have lost four over the past three months to what has now been confirmed as merics. Before we knew the diagnosis, we added four vaccinated pullets. Am I going to lose most of my flock? So let me paint this picture. Okay, she had a flock of nine unvaccinated chicks. Now, she says chicks. I don't have the age here, but nine unvaccinated chicks. Um, they did, and they've lost four over the past three months to what now has been confirmed as Merrick's. But before it was diagnosed, they added four vaccinated pullets. Um, and she wants to know, is the whole flock in, in going to be doomed here? And I think there's an underlying question here she's not asking. Do you think that because I added these four that were vaccinated, they shed it. They now infected my other ones. I think you can kind of see the way this is worded. She's concerned yeah. about maybe that being a possibility. So there you go, my yeah, friend. I think, the first one. Yeah, I think the the uh, the best way to answer this is to go back to the nine unvaccinated uh, chickens. Um, the um, uh, fact that four were lost out of that group uh, to con- a confirmed diagnosis of Merrick's means that there were five birds that were exposed, that for whatever reason, whether it be genetic um, or lack of uh, exposure, uh, don't forget every disease that, that is out there, it depends on the degree of exposure uh, before you get a, a full-blown problem. Will these five uh, at some point in time uh, exhibit uh, symptoms of Merrick's? Uh, it is a very real possibility um, because of the fact that um, we have found, uh, and research has found, that uh, late cases of, of true merics uh, are generally caused, even through by vaccinated birds, are generally caused by a breakdown in the bird's immune system as they age. Okay, so at some point in time, um, I can't give them an exact timeline uh, as to when something may or may not happen to the five birds uh, that are there. And then we go on to look at the uh, four vaccinated birds that were brought in. Um, now, they have not said where they were vaccinated, who vaccinated them, or anything like that, or even which, which vaccine was used. So I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and say that they used the, um, uh, the um, uh, lyophilized vaccine that is available uh, pretty readily uh, anywhere. And um, that being the case, they will not lose any birds. Um, due to the vaccination of these four birds, uh, provided that they were vaccinated with the um, regular HVT uh, vaccine that we uh, currently have available. Uh, The reason that they won't lose any additional birds in their flock from the vaccinated birds is while the virus that is in there, the the turkey herpes virus, is classified as a serotype 3 uh, Marek's virus, 
it is a non-oncogenic virus, meaning that it does not cause disease, okay? Um, it does not stop a bird from becoming infected should it be exposed. So it's kind of a, a catch-22 here. So let me try to go back through this. We have nine unvaccinated birds who, for whatever reason, were exposed at some point uh, to um, the Marix virus. Four of those birds succumbed to the disease, leaving five birds that were exposed, still unvaccinated, okay? So they can develop the disease at any given time. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, some things uh, that would, um, uh, there may be some natural genetic resistance with these particular birds. These particular birds that uh, are still survivors of the original group uh, may have a uh, more intact, better functioning immune system. We've talked about that many, many times. Uh, about you know, 60% or so of the bird's immune cells called gut-associated lymphoid tissue reside in the intestinal tract. And if they were in better shape than some of the others, uh, they were going to be less susceptible, not only because of their immune system, but maybe there are some genetic resistance there as well. So we can't say where they're go whether or not they're going to uh, but they have been exposed, okay? They are the ones that are, are going to uh, expose any other birds um, you know, to, to the virus uh, through the shedding process. The um, four vaccinated birds are not going to shed uh, the, uh, the vaccine virus, even if they do, uh, which they may. It's still non-oncogenic, no harm, no foul, no pun intended, okay? So that you're not going to get anything out of those birds. They should be pretty much protected, providing the vaccine was used in a proper fashion uh, and all the rules of vaccination were, were uh, um, adhered to. Uh, vaccination prior to exposure as close to one day of age as possible. Uh, proper handling of the vaccine uh, and shipment to whoever uh, did the vaccination. Uh, proper handling of, of the vaccine after the vaccine was mixed. Was it all done within one hour of uh, the opening of the vaccine? Uh, was the vaccine properly administered under the skin of the neck? Uh, was the vaccine uh, given at the proper dose, which is two-tenths of a cc? I find it incredible. A lot of people uh, don't understand uh, cc's, ml's are the same thing and have a very difficult time understanding one-tenth, two-tenths, three-tenths. Uh, so, therefore, many times birds are improperly vaccinated because they don't understand. Okay, So, uh, the four that are vaccinated, no harm to the birds that are unvaccinated. The vaccine unvaccinated birds are uh, a harm not only to themselves, but any other birds they may come into contact with uh, that are unvaccinated. And it also would, uh, looking at the four vaccinated birds, uh, how long was it before the four vaccinated birds were introduced to the five unvaccinated birds? That also can be an issue. So if the birds had not built what we call a viremia or started to get some protection going uh, and then were exposed to the five birds, the five birds are shedding the virus back to these vaccinated birds, the vaccinated birds could still succumb due to the five unvaccinated birds. So all of that complicated nonsense, really at the end of the day, take the five birds, vaccinate them, hold your breath. And a bird that is vaccinated is better off than a bird that is not vaccinated. Um, and if you should vaccinate the five birds and they start to come down with the disease, that means they were developing it and going to come down with it anyway. Uh, again, the vaccine, provided it's the uh, turkey herpes virus serotype 3, 
uh, is not going to be oncogenic, not going to give them the disease. But the five birds that are unvaccinated, uh, they are a risk to every bird they come in contact with. Okay. Great response. Great answer. Hope that helped you out, uh, Aaron. Uh, and uh, good luck with your uh, flock. Lisa has kind of a Merrick's-related question as well. Not a whole lot of detailed information or signs or symptoms, but she says, I have an Easter egger that suddenly was down on her legs. I looked it up, and it looked like Merrick's. Took her to the vet, and the vet said it was a vitamin deficiency. I had been giving her vitamins prescribed by the vet for three weeks. Just thought she seemed to be... Um, walking uh, up a little more on her legs than she is. Is there anything else you could recommend that I should do for her? Is there any chicken physical therapy or splinting involved or anything like that? So okay. uh, we got a chick that um, she... Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. No. Um, nope, I'm just going to recap. The... Yeah, go ahead and thought, recap thought it, it for was... us. Okay. Thought, thought it was Merrick's. Took her to the vet. Vet, don't know the certifications of the vet. Said um, uh, vitamin deficiency, been given vitamins, seems to be doing better, but just not as expected. So there you go. Yeah, and again, this is a this is a tough one to call because um, yeah. you know without uh, you know and the fun, the bad part about it is the only real way to tell is a necropsy, and that nobody's going to want to do that. Um, but in, in looking at this, um, I think you have to look at how the bird is presenting itself. Merrick's for for whatever the reason. Um, usually sticks to a, a pretty steadfast um, uh, scenario. One of, the, one of the things that we see uh, with Merrick's, and, and look, nothing's 100%, so I don't want anybody to say, well, you know, uh, I had a bird that did that and I gave it some vitamins and it went away. Um, I think you have to uh, understand that if the bird is being fed properly, uh, and by this I mean a, a good quality um, uh, commercial uh, complete feed, uh, and we've talked about this before. Um, when you know, when right away Easter egg or people have a tendency to treat them a little bit differently sometimes than, than others. They become pets, which is fine, um, but they end up eating a lot of treats, a lot of scratch, uh, a lot of junk food, so to speak. So then they end up getting away from uh, that complete feed that you're buying at at the feed store. And um, I see it many, many times. Um, Vitamin deficiencies come on over a period of time. They are not something where a bird is going to be uh, deficient of food today uh, or tomorrow or, or for four, five, six, seven, eight, ten days and all of a sudden start to break down. They will take everything they need out of their body until there is no more. And then you'll start to see uh, the, the physical breakdown. Okay, But Merrick's does present itself in an in a, um, almost coordinated fashion. So I'll go through some of it, and I don't want anybody, again, to think that this is all steadfast. But birds that will stand still and then pick up their leg, and then as they pick up their leg, the foot has a tendency to be balled up, so meaning pulling the, the claws back up to the foot pad. Okay, And sometimes they'll even shake it, and you will think that they're trying to shake something off of it, but there is nothing there. Okay. So that's one of the first clues you start to see uh, with a bird that is Merrick's. Can you hear Problem me, with that, Powerade? Pardon? In the bottom. Talking to my wife. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, so that also, that balling up of the foot, mimics, okay, a vitamin deficiency. 
you know, predominantly riboflavin. We start looking at that curling up toes and that kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe not. The other thing we start to see with, with birds with merics is that they sit down a lot. The problem with that is it mimics merics. Uh, not merics, but coccidiosis, I'm sorry. And it very well could be merics, but it also could be coccidiosis. So you have to kind of make some, some determinations here. And the next progressive step that we see with merics is the inability to stand. Uh, the bird wants to stand, uh, or it can stand, but as it starts to, to walk, it can't, uh, starts to lose the, uh, the use of, of one leg. Um, then it progresses to uh, the classic Merrick's stance, which is sitting on the breast, one leg forward, one leg back, uh, can be both legs out front sitting on the breast, can be laying on the side, one leg out, one leg back, both legs straight out. Any one of those combinations, feet balled up, uh, they all are indicative of uh, a problem uh, with Merrick's. So um, I would, uh, at the moment, uh, this bird seems to be, be progressing. Uh, Merix is also uh, an immunosuppressive disease, uh, meaning that this opens the bird up to uh, um, uh, other um, disease uh, problems coming along uh, and taking up residence now that the immune system is under attack uh, and not functioning up to, up to full speed. Um, so there are a lot of issues going on uh, at one time. Um, I would dare say uh, that uh, whoever looked at the bird from a veterinary standpoint uh, probably just, you know, looked at it and, and, and termed it that. Now, I'm not saying, certainly can't say, cause I haven't seen the bird. Even if it did see the bird, couldn't say definitively that, it, that it's Merrick's. I think I would give it some time and see if, if, the, uh, if the bird continues uh, to progress. Uh, and if, if not, because vitamins are not going to solve the problem with Merrick's, not at all. Uh, it may prolong some of the uh, inevitable outcome uh, due to the bird be, being kept up nutritionally. Okay, so it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to call. Um, the um, if they're not getting anywhere, then they have to look at this bird uh, as very well possibly being Merrick's, depending on the the uh, um, symptoms that it'll start to show uh, as the disease progresses. And then you have to look at it and say, okay, uh, this is Merrick's. Now, this bird is shedding this virus all over the place. What's this going to do to all my other birds? It's the only bird you got. Then there are some other alternative uh, therapies that you can, can do. Uh, one that, uh, two of that we've been successful with are, is the giving of curcumin, potentiated with bioperine, um, about 1,000 milligrams, two to three times a day, uh, that seems to, to help. It's anti-inflammatory and does help with the uh, uh, the, the Marix uh, virus and its uh, ability to uh, interrupt the uh, electrical impulses through the vagus nerve. And um, also giving aspirin, 81 milligram aspirin, two or three times a day orally uh, seems to help. Um, uh, there are cases where prednisone can help. Um, and uh, we use a step-up, step-down program sometimes for that. Sometimes we don't. Um, but uh, um, that's, that's a doable deal there. Uh, one of the others that you can do is using Hypericum. And you can buy them online uh, from an outfit called, uh, I think it's Bowiron or something like that, Boron, Bowiron. don't remember right off the top of my head. But you want the 30C pellet, 
and then you take that 30C pellet and you dissolve it in some sterile water. Um, you don't want any flavored waters or anything like that. And uh, about a tablespoon or so of, of that. So a tablespoon would be equal to about 15 cc's. Okay, if you want to use a syringe and get it accurate. And mash that up and get it all dissolved. And um, you want to take, depending on the side of the bird, real small bird, maybe three to four drops on its tongue. Okay, and you want the bird to close its mouth so that it try, gets it all above in the mucous membranes. And um, even putting a drop in a nostril would, would help. Uh, and you want to do that uh, every 12 hours. And in many cases, uh, that will suffice and that will, will, uh, will help. If you think it's Merrick's, that's the, uh, that's the route I would take, uh, either one of the two. The curcumin uh, may even do the two together. You have nothing to lose by doing it. Um, you may see some neurological side effects from the hypericum, uh, but they should not uh, be detrimental to the bird. Um, they should uh, you know, subside after a little bit, and, and you'll know within several days or a week if it's going to help or not. Awesome. Very good. Lots of information that uh, I've, I haven't heard before even as many times as we've talked about it. So that's uh, very good um, information for uh, for Lisa. Lisa, hopefully that will help you out and answer some of your questions. Um got two awesome questions coming up here. This one comes to us from Allison uh, Brown. She says, we, li we live in central Texas, and the weather is very mild. Recently I noticed one of my Australorps comb turned black on the top edges. Now it looks like you can practically see through it. It's very weird. I heard if they get frostbit, their combs turn black, but it really hasn't been that cold here at all. Only down in the maybe low 30s, maybe five times this year so far. It doesn't seem to bother her, just me. <laughs> Should I do anything? And so, again, kind of to recap, uh, she has an Osterlorp. The comb turned black on the tips and the edges. Now it looks like almost you can see through the comb. Very weird. And uh, But it hadn't really been cold to, to be frostbite. She's not ruling that out, but just doesn't assume that that is it. And as we know, Peter, from you and all the other great experts we've had on the show, you can tell so much about a chicken through their comb color um, as far as health and vibrant combs, whether they're laying or not, and all kinds of great things. So uh, what say you for uh, Allison? Yeah, this is, uh, this is uh, again, another tough one where you can't put your finger on and say, aha, it's this. But um, let's go back and take a look at this. Uh, this can be uh, the start of heart failure in this bird. Uh, possibility uh, eventually turning into ascites, which the old terminology would have been water belly. Um, uh, we know that the comb is highly vascularized, meaning that it has loads of uh, veins, uh, capillary blood vessels, arteries, uh, and is uh, a, a methodology for uh, looking at a bird and determining uh, overall health. Um, the tips turning black, um, barring a fungus or something along those lines, uh, which I don't think, based on the fact that she feels that the, the comb is, is uh, uh, almost uh, see-through, uh, I think that it's not really as much see-through as it is bleached out white. Because um, I've seen this kind of thing before with this bleached out white. It goes from the pretty... Uh, dense red color to a, a, a very, very, very uh, white uh, condition. 
So there are you know, diseases that can cause it. Um, it. It appears to me to, at least from, from the information given, um, you know, a, a blood flow problem. Just what's causing it, don't know. Um, but things that can cause it, uh, leucosis, uh, 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 ovarian cancer, uh, uh, tuberculosis uh, in birds, um, so you really can't put your finger on it. She didn't really say what the droppings looked like either. That would have been helpful. Uh, I don't think she gave you that kind of information. Um, I certainly keep my eye on the bird because if the temperature isn't cold enough to freeze the cone, then where is the black part coming from? And the only way it, that I see that it can come from is, is either a, a outside source being fungal, um, which I don't believe because generally if, if it's fungal, it starts to take over the whole comb. Um, then we have to look and see is is the transparency that she's seeing um, is that cause, being caused by favus, which ends up being a, a white covering over the comb, which is you know actually uh, uh, you know fungal. Um, so it, this a little bit of a tough one to call. Uh, if she would like to send me a picture uh, of the comb, I'd be glad to evaluate it and, and, and give a reply to it. Whether I you know, have any other opinions other than what we're talking about here. But um, we also know that the comb is very dense, uh, loaded with uh, pockets of uh, hyaluronic acid. So you're really not going to be able to see through it. Um, and if you, you, you were, you'd be able to see some blood vessels and so on and so forth, and obviously you're not going to be able to see that. So I think the transparency is more from a bleach out than it is anything else. But, uh, you know, blood flow for sure. Just what's causing it, don't know. Uh, it would need a lot more information and, and maybe some diagnostic stuff. But droppings mm -hmm. uh, are going to be another key to, to telling you, uh, you know, where it's going. Uh, and also, you know, any labored breathing, uh, any untoward things that, that are not normal for this particular bird would be helpful. But that's about all I think you can add to this at this point in time. Um, you know, and and it also could be an enteritis of some sort. Uh, you know, with a causing a malnutrition type situation, but definitely blood flow for sure. Okay. All righty, um, I'm going to take a quick break, uh, and you can get your brain geared up. We've got a, a really a great question coming up next about mycoplasma and uh, a, a test that came back, and it just kind of incorporates that and the future of backyard flocks and really overall mycoplasma in general. So we're going to go to break because we've got a really great question coming up after the break and uh, some really thought-out kind of question for you, Peter. So uh, we're doing Ask the Chicken Doctor with Peter Brown, and we will be back right after this short break, and I call my two-year-old band. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Wear Manufacturing.
for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business, providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for the beginner or advanced poultry keeper. Stromberg's should be on the top of your list when it comes time to order. Shop online at www.strombergschickens.com or call today at 1-800-720-1134. Remember, that's strombergschickens.com. Love Nest brings the natural goodness of herbs to you in your backyard with handcrafted organic blends for your backyard friends. Packaged in a resealable bag, 100% USDA certified organic, Love Nest blends come ready to sprinkle directly into the nesting R coop bedding and are completely natural and edible. There's Love Nest Chick Mix Blend, a gentle herb blend perfect for young chicks. Love Nest Layer Blend, designed to help support laying and soothe ruffled feathers. And Love Nest Critter Ritter Blend is naturally effective against those unwelcome guests such as lice, moths, and other pests. Ask for Love Nest at your favorite local feed store or visit them online at www.loveluv-nest.com. And try Love Nest Organic Blends for your backyard friends today. Bum, 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 bum,
right, thank you very much for staying with us today. On Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisper, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds, we've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of FirstStateVetSupply.com. It's where you can get that sweeter heater we were talking about uh, earlier. We'll bring Peter back on. We've got a, a really a phenomenal question here, really about uh, mycoplasma. And uh, a little lengthy and a little uh, uh, some words that will be a little difficult to pronounce if you don't say them every day. So uh, here we go. This comes to us from uh, Melora uh, Heiler. And she says, or he says, not familiar with the name, Melora, apologize about that. I lost one of two hens a few weeks after purchasing her as an eight-month-old. The necropsy report from the Georgia State Lab showed final diagnosis as MGPCR positive, mycoplasma gallosecticum infection, also MSPCR positive, Mycoplasma synovae. Uh, we just talked about this one as well. This bird had a lot going on. Aspergillosis, pneumonia, and also immunosuppression. Now, that's the three, four things that this bird had, do uh, according to the Georgia State Lab. And she just bought them. Um, eight, uh, actually, since the, um, she, uh, anyway, okay, so we've got. Um, I believe, and this is her opinion, I believe that having hay on my coop floor over a sand foundation as well as lining my droppings board with a sheet of plastic may have contributed to the aspergillosis and pneumonia. I quickly rectified that, and in researching MG and MS, apparently it is an epidemic in backyard flocks particularly in dealing with some of the rarer breeds. Um, it is particularly um, impossible to find birds from MGMS-free flocks, and I presume that those certifications are only as good as the, la the last test. Uh, similarly, infusing new breeding stock into a breeding program from MGMS birds presents fewer choices that limit uh, may be inferior birds otherwise. Apparently, these diseases can cause decreased egg production. There also seems uh, a problem in accomplishing all of this in any sort of economic manner, but that is another topic. Since hens decrease their egg production as they age anyway, I wonder what incentive breeders will have to eradicate MS and MG. What approach do you recommend to attempt to eradicate these diseases from the overall backyard chicken flocks? Now, phenomenal question. A lot going on in there. I think uh -huh. to kind of recap this and get your answer, of course, she had a bird. It died. Had a necropsy. Three big things going on. MG, MS, aspergillosis, and uh, immunosuppression. Um, she thinks it might have been hay and a, a piece of plastic on her uh, uh, poop liner, um, which she has gotten rid of that. You can address that to see if that would have anything to do with it. And then basically going through a lot of information that she's researched or he's researched, wants to know this seems to be an epidemic, and is there any way to eradicate this, and do you think it's even worthwhile to do so? So there you have it. Great question. Wow. That's a, that's a <laughs> show in itself. 
but um, exactly. it, it is a wonderful question because you know uh, we we don't get that many that that uh, encompass this kind of of of, of thinking. Um, so let's let's go in and take a, a look at this, and I'll try to take it step by step and not get it out of out of context here. But let me just go back and say one thing before we do start. Okay, uh-huh. um, overall, the MG and MS by itself probably did not have anything to do with the demise of of the bird. Um, there isn't any question that aspergillosis, and at least in my mind, uh, there is, you know, that aspergillosis was probably the the problem here. Um, Mycoplasma synoviae uh, by itself is not a big troublemaker. Uh, very seldom, uh, in most cases, uh, kills birds. Uh, but when it teams up with other things, and it, it gets ugly, you see. It's it's not the guy that starts the fight. It's the guy that shows up afterward and uh, joins in the fight. Okay? Whereas the Mycoplasma galliceptacum, or, or the MG uh, portion of it, uh, it is a troublemaker right from the get-go, and uh, uh, it is a problem on its own. So then you throw in the MS, it, it, now we, it becomes more complicated than it was before, and then you throw the aspergillosis in on top of it. Now, I don't know where the immune suppression come, came from. She didn't give us any more information there, but it would have been interesting to see uh, exactly uh, what they were talking about it from the Georgia laboratory. Um, uh, as far as as that is concerned, so historically, um, MG has been a problem uh, for the commercial egg-laying industry for many many years. Um, they've worked feverishly to to get rid of it. Um, in many cases, uh, years ago, the uh, vaccine that was used was a live, what they called an F strain. Uh, they've moved on to different uh, types of vaccination in areas where they still do that. Uh, it is much better to be free of it than to have to deal with it. Uh, they've recognized that. Um, so all of the parent-grandparent stock that they buy uh, to replace um, uh, stock for the uh, egg-laying complexes are all MG negative. The problem comes in on the premises themselves. And they have worked over the years, and I don't know where their status really stands now. I don't follow them that much anymore. Um, but it always has been a, a big problem. It does decrease uh, egg production. Uh, there isn't any question about that, and that's the number one reason why they don't want it. Um, you know, there are respiratory issues. Uh, e. coli complicates it, and that's where the chronic respiratory disease itself is, uh, comes in. Uh, MG is mycoplasmosis, uh, basically, if you just have it by itself, but when complicated by E. coli, uh, becomes chronic respiratory disease. Um, uh, so it, it, is, it is a problem. And is it a problem in backyard poultry? You bet. Uh, do I see it getting cleaned up anytime soon? No. Who's going to take the initiative? Where's the incentive? There isn't any. Who's going to pay for the testing? People don't want to do it. Uh, people don't want the government in their shorts. They just don't. Um, if I had a nickel for every time people tell me that they were called their laboratory and they, they you know, they come back with a uh, uh, a um, diagnosis of mycoplasma, the, the rule of thumb is put them all down, and it's hard to tell to somebody that's been breeding birds for 30 plus years or 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 two months or three months uh, that they've just put their hard-earned money into and everything else that these, these birds should be put down. People are not willing to part with them like that. Um, 
Is it possible to clean a flock up? Yes. Long, drawn out, and expensive. Again, where's the money going to come from? Most people don't have it. Um, I've said it on this show before many, many times that, you know, uh, what I run into with with not everybody but a, a reasonable portion of people is they are not willing to spend the time, the effort, and the money to clean it up. takes time. takes money. I've done it with several different breeders. And um, so I don't know how you're really going to go about doing it. I can tell you how to do it, okay, and that is to test every bird in your flock. And before you test everybody, have a area on your premise where you can put birds who are not positive, okay, away from everybody else. And then here comes the kicker. Every bird that you find when you test it that's positive has to immediately be put down. Immediately. And because mycoplasma generally through a flock uh, is not as fast moving as uh, the viruses would be, um, you don't always have 100% of your birds uh, infected within a flock. And uh, the, the rub comes in putting them down. People just don't want to do it. And, you know... <laughs> Every time you go to put a bird down, it's it's the best one you got. It's not the clunker. You know, the, I call them the eaters and poopers. That's what they do. They eat and they poop and they, they don't contribute. They don't lay that many eggs, but you keep them around because they're your chickens. You know how it goes. I mean, you know, um, you know our geriatric flock here, we, we don't do anything for them. You know, they're, they're, they're happy, healthy, negative birds and everything else, but they don't provide eggs and we don't care. But, you know, lo and behold, if I had to get down and put each one of them down, I'm not doing it. I mean, if it's a disease entity, yes, you know, but uh, it's just people just aren't willing to, to, uh, to do it. So my suggestion here is to um, you have the Georgia State Lab uh, involved, which is a good thing. Uh, they do a good job of uh, testing. Uh, a lot of the testing procedures over the years uh, have come from their laboratories. They have a huge new complex that they just built down there not too long ago, about a year or so ago. I'm not even sure if it's finished. Uh, they've spent tons and tons and tons of money, uh, both federal and state and whatever, um, to, to do these things. Um, you may inquire with them if you've got a, a lot of, uh, of, of birds. Um, you may inquire uh, if they are able to do the amino assays from the birds' eggs, where they take the... Uh, eggs from birds and uh, uh, extract the um, um, antibodies from that, and then uh, we'll be able to tell you if they are or negative or positive from that. If not, uh, the PCR testing that th this person had done, uh, PCR stands po for polymerase chain reaction. It's the test that they used to uh, years and years ago to not convict O.J. Simpson, and. Um, uh, it is uh, very accurate, especially the newer tests that they're running today. Um, but the downside of that one is they are expensive. So uh, what you can do, uh, and I'm sure they still continue to do tests there, uh, which are, are uh, the uh, mycoplasma plate test, which is a screening test, so you could screen all your birds relatively inexpensive. Um, they're not obligated to turn you in anywhere, so they're just going to give you the results back. and. Um, uh, be what it may, so you'll at least know. I have encouraged people over the years to find out what's in your flock. 
only then can you get on a program and deal with it uh, effectively. Um, I'll give you, for instance, I have a, a client uh, who uh, uh, their son shows uh, chickens, and I run into them all the time at different shows and everything else. And um, uh, over the years, they've had problems uh, with uh, what we perceive to be mycoplasma. And they elected uh, at my um, uh, direction uh, about two years ago, I think it was, to at least vaccinate for these two things, mycoplasma, the MG, uh, and the coryza. And I'm here to tell you, folks, their problems have just gone away. That doesn't mean that the flock is clean. What it means is they no longer have to spend a ton of money on medication, don't have sick birds that got to be put down, not running off to the laboratory. The birds will shed less. They'll still shed it, but they're not going to shed it near as bad. So they've done some things to, to, to limit this to the best of their ability. And they show, and they do well, and the birds are healthy, um, and other people just won't take that that, uh, that step. And, uh, you know, we've reduced the prices of, of our killed vaccines to try to get people to, to do it. But it's, it's, a, it's a tough go. This is a highly adapted avian disease, the mycoplasmas, both of them. And what that means, they have an affinity for the birds. They need the bird to survive. So it's easily disinfected for. That's why I said in the beginning of this conversation that if you were to take some birds, uh, all of your birds, test them, and immediately the birds that are negative, they go to a separate pen way far away from where you are, okay? And then the birds that are positive get all put down. You bury or burn those birds. You do a complete cleanup of the premises yourself included, all your clothes, shower, blow your nose, clean out your ears, everything. And then and only then do you go and take care of those now negative birds and you start your process. The problem is when you go somewhere else and somebody hasn't done what you've done. So then it becomes what's the point? And therein lies the problem. So, you know, how you correct it, you know, I I can direct people how to correct it how to keep them negative on your own place. But when you're swapping birds and going to shows and, and all of these things, uh, God only knows what you get. God only knows what you get. How many times That's have I true. said everything you do, yep. vaccination-wise? People ask me all the time, should I vaccinate, should I vaccinate? This guy says yes. Harry out in California says yes. Millie down in Texas says no. Bobby up in, in Minnesota says yes and whatever. It's all based on exposure. If you don't have any exposure, what's the point? If you're not sending your birds to shows, and you're not swapping birds in and out, and they're your backyard flock for your own pleasure, your children's pleasure, egg eating, uh, meat eating, whatever it is, you don't need to vaccinate. There's no exposure. Now, if you're going to swaps, if you're going to uh, shows, if you're uh, selling birds left and right and bringing birds in and, and, and uh, new breeds in, um, you better take a hard look at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. A hard look, especially if you're going to to uh, uh, to, the, to the sale barn and buying stuff. I don't know of anybody who sells their best stock at the sale barn. <laughs> I really right. don't. You know, um, it, it is a problem. How you solve it, I don't know. How you clean up your own premise, I can help you with that. 
Dr. Batista, who is the uh, friend of mine here at the Delaware Laboratory, who uh, we both rely on each other for information uh, about different things, uh, a very, very knowledgeable individual. Uh, he now recommends, if you're going to show, vaccinate. That's your best bet. It's your best bet. And it has Got nothing it. to do with me selling the vaccine. You can buy it anywhere. I just have lowered the price on ours uh, down to what we feel um, is a reasonable amount that we can help people out, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, not making very much money on it, not interested in it. If I can get more and more people to vaccinate, it's a home run for everybody all the way around. But vaccination is better than nothing. It's better than nothing. And that's where we stand at this point. Um, in a couple of weeks, I'll be up in New England doing a show up there, and uh, the, the I can't remember the guy's name now, but he's the tester for the area up there for MPIP. And um, unless he's pulling my leg, he tells me that in that particular area, he's yet to test a bird that he, uh, you know, or a flock that he hasn't found as positive for mycoplasm. So um, I think it's rampant in certain areas of the country. I think that there are areas of the country where uh, it is you're less likely to run into it. Um, there are a lot of people who don't even know what's in their flock, haven't got a clue. And therein lies the, uh, the the problem. If they knew, would they do anything about it? That's the other issue. Right. You know, Definitely. If they knew. But, it, it, you know, <laughs> this doesn't live by itself outside the bird's body very well because it depends on the bird's body to get its nutrients, the vitamins, the uh, amino acids and things, the, the building blocks of life that it needs to, to thrive. Um, and it's also a, a very, very small bacteria. Okay, that's why it's named the mycoplasm bacteria. Originally, it was thought to be a virus before the uh, advent of the electron microscope, and they finally found out that oh, and lo and behold, it's a bacteria. But uh, it's um, it has you know it has the ability to to uh, get its nutrients from from the bird and biosynthesize those and break them down into things that it can use to thrive. Uh, you know. Um, I, I don't know what else to, to, to say here other than, uh, you know, this is a problem. And how you go about addressing it is strictly up to the individual. Um, if this individual is interested and wants to contact me uh, at uh, chickendr at firststatevetsupply.com uh, to discuss it further and get on a program, uh, but it still depends on, on, on what they want to do. And I would urge that person to... to um, uh, because they have access to that Georgia laboratory, uh, who uh, really do a good job, and their 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 prices on things are reasonable. The the um, uh, plate test would would only um, would they, they would have to take the blood themselves, send it into the laboratory. Not everybody can do that, uh, but the mm-hmm. lab there can probably instruct them. It's pr- pretty simple. Um, if uh, and, and you know you can also buy the antigens; they're available. I can direct people where to get those on their own. Um, again, it's it's no different than the test is read the same way as the as the pylorum test. Anybody that's had NPAIP done and seen how they run the pylorum test, they do the same exact thing. The only difference between the two tests, as far as the plate test is concerned, is that there's one more step involved, uh, basically, and that is uh, for pylorum testing we take the blood as it comes out of the bird which is a whole blood test okay we don't have to do anything to it for the mycoplasma test whether it be the mg or the ms we have to go one step further we have to take about a half a cc or so of blood from the bird we have to 
uh, let it coagulate in a syringe. So you pull the stopper out on the syringe to let the blood uh, thin out in the, in the syringe, and you have to wait a couple of hours for that uh, to separate. So you're gonna, you, because you don't want the clot, you want a drop of the serum. It's an amber-colored fluid that will separate out from that, and that's where the antibodies are going to be. And you'll take that drop with a drop of the antigen, put it on the same plate you read the pylorum on, mix it the same way, pick it up and rotate it for a few minutes the same way, put it back down under a backlit light, and read it the same exact way. Clumpy and grainy positive, two liquids mixed together negative, same thing. And it's a very cheap test at the end of the day. I think most of them charge a couple of dollars a test. But, um, you know, they can make an inquiry at that Georgia lab. Uh, the people are very astute there. They do this day in, day out. Um, I don't think there's a better place in the nation to get the stuff done. Uh, and they, they do take stuff all the time from out of state if you're out of state. So technically, at the end of the day, other than the monetary part of it, there's no excuse for not doing some of this. But that's the way it is. Got it. I appreciate it. We're running out of time. I wanna, I've got some breaking news here to report um, down in Mobile, Alabama. We, we read this on the news I believe it was last week uh, about them attempting to ban roosters in the city, and apparently even before the meeting took place today, all the uh, uh, city councilmen had kind of made up their mind that they were going to ban roosters in the city. This comes after, I guess maybe it was last year, um, when they did allow backyard poultry, and they included to allow roosters, one rooster per backyard, that's it, one, apparently uh, um over the last few weeks, uh, there was a rooster wreaking havoc in a neighborhood, crowing at all hours and even early 4.30 in the morning, that type of thing. And uh, I don't know if it was cronyism or just they were friends, but they, it was presented to the a council member, didn't go through the chain of noise ordinance or, or uh, being a nuisance or anything like that. It was just, hey, I know this guy. I'm going to call him. Let's ban these. This is crazy. Um, since then, that rooster has been gone, so that rooster's not even a problem anymore. Uh, but they brought it to the council meeting today, and they have immediately, effective immediately, um, have van roosters in the city of Mobile, Alabama, as of just a few minutes ago, was sent to me. Um, and apparently, uh, I asked if anybody stood up or spoke. I know there were supporters there for roosters, and um, they, uh, I, I didn't get an answer to that, but that, that their mind was already made up even before the meeting to disband all roosters based on this uh, one instance. Apparently, over the last year, there have been six or seven complaints, I guess, about roosters. And uh, I know, I remember very vividly when I was on tour a couple of years ago, uh, talking to a real good friend who uh, is president of that club, very well-organized club, one of the best in the country, and him saying, hey, I want to approach this and try to get roosters allowed in, in the city. And, I, and he probably remembers me saying this right there at dinner, saying, you know, hey, I, I don't have a dog in that fight. You know, I, um, you know if you, you go and do it, I think you may have a hard time getting it done. Um, I said, you know, I, I'm telling you right now, I don't want to wake up at 4.30 any more than anybody else out there. As much as I love and promote backyard poultry, I don't want to wake up at 4.30 because my roost, I have an irresponsible neighbor with a rooster. And it doesn't matter if it's a Harley or a dog or a rooster or a weed whacker or whatever the case may be. But uh, I was very surprised they did pass the ordinance that allowed uh, one rooster per backyard uh, in Mobile, and now it's kind of reared its ugly head, and now they are completely banned. And I guess the underlying issue here is um, their fight, which I think is legitimate, was why don't you deal with this case? There's already rules and laws on the books, noise ordinance, nuisance ordinances, to deal with this one 
issue, this one backyard. Mine aren't causing any problems, but yet you're going to punish everybody in the whole city because of this one bad apple. The rooster is not even there anymore. That problem has been solved, but now you're going to affect all the other people that have roosters because this this issue was an issue, which now has been resolved. The rooster is not even in the backyard anymore. And uh, so so to that, I just wanted to break in with that, that within the last few minutes now, roosters are completely banned in the city of Mobile, Alabama. I feel bad for those folks because they're a great, really responsible group, and they've worked so hard to get backyard chickens, number one, allowed. And I was very surprised when they got roosters allowed, but now it's kind of come back to, to bite them a little bit. And uh, But, but the, big, the big issue is um, if you approach them, and, and if this was... If, let's say next week somebody calls the same council member and says, you know what, there's a dog that wakes me up every morning or what barks all night next to me. You've got to ban dogs in the city of Mobile. What kind of luck do you think he's going to have? What, what, what's the, you know, are chickens kind of being um, uh, teamed up against here? Is it, what do you, what do you call it there? Um, uh, it's, it's, anyway, but, but yeah, so what kind of luck do you think they're going to have banning dogs? How many people See, I agree. I agree people? with you. Uh, and that, that's the biggest issue there is just to say, okay, we have one problem with one rooster. We're banning all roosters. I think someone should call this person kind of incognito and say, look, there's a dog that's barking all the time and barking and waking me up, and I'm a working man. i got to be up, and is barking at 4 o'clock waking me up. Well, you know, I know you that you, you banned roosters last week. Can we, can we ban dogs this week because this one dog is bothering me? See what kind of luck you have with that. What's what's the difference? Weed eater, weed whacker, Harley Davidson, loud music, uh, dog barking in, in the yard. Let's just go ahead and ban everything that bothers everybody. 2015 was the year of being offended by something. Now, now again, I was the first one to post this article on the group's webpage, the Mobile Backyard Poultry Group, and I, and I clearly put in there, I said, look, I don't want to be waking up at 4.30 any more than anybody else, whether it be a rooster or a dog. But, again, they didn't even attempt, apparently, to go through the chain of command like, hey, let's get the animal control out there and, and deal with this one issue. Let's, um, you know, do open a, a, a nuisance report. You know, we have a sound ordinance. They're violating that between 10 p.m., 6 a.m., whatever the case may be, um, versus just, oh, we're banning all roosters. So I strongly suggest, if you got, I've got fans that are listening from Mobile, somebody call them next week complain about the barking dog, and ask them, say, you know, I saw in the news that you banned roosters last week, week because somebody had an issue with the rooster. This dog keeps me up. Can we, you think we can go ahead and, and ban dogs, too? See, see what kind of response you get. See what kind of kickback you get. I don't get it, but I think someone should do it just to prove a point. So, um, anyway, we're going to wrap it up. i got a couple of questions here that I think that we can get to uh, without being too lengthy, and then we'll wrap up, the, uh, wrap up the show. Let me scroll down here and... Uh, uh, scroll down to where all the questions are. A couple of good ones that, because uh, we have several that I won't get to today, and we apologize, but we'll get to a couple. That, this is the answer. Um, can chickens have hiccups consistently and constantly? I have a chicken that sounds like she has hiccups. After she makes this noise, she keeps her mouth wide open and closes her eyes as she is trying to catch her breath. This is nothing new or sudden. She's been doing this for as long as I can remember. But it sounds like a hiccup. After the hiccup, uh, beak wide open, eyes closed, like <laughs> she's doing something, gasping for air. Ever heard of this, Peter? Um, yes, I have. Um, can't say I have a true definitive answer, but um, sure. uh, we had, uh, this quite a few years ago, uh, we had a bird that seemed to... Um, 
I won't say it was an actual hiccup, but um, I understand what the uh, uh, person is talking about. And uh, this was a genetic defect uh, with a deformed airway. Um, and, um, I mean, this, this could be coming from a, a number of things. So the bird has had it a long time, according to the, the question. Um, so it's obviously not detrimental to, to the bird. Um, sometimes we, we see some of these things with um, uh, ruptured air sacs. Uh, but, you know, one would think that this was you know, a ruptured air sac generally uh, pretty easily fixed. Um, my guess would be some sort of a... Of a uh, um, uh, also, could be a, a problem in the digestive system uh, as, as well. May not even be coming from the respiratory system. So it's kind of uh, this could be, you know, some some uh, liquid from the uh, intestinal tract backing up into the the bottom of of, of the crop, coming back through the proventriculus. Uh, uh, you know, that is a possibility because as the chicken's system is a digestive system. Um, it's not a straight-through uh, feed-out. In other words, food comes in the mouth, goes down the uh, esophagus into the into the crop through the uh, uh, proventriculus, which is a true glandular stomach, uh, to the gizzard, to the cecal tonsils, and then out the intestine. Uh, it's not quite that simple in actuality. Uh, food that makes its way past the gizzard and and uh, uh, can actually be be sent back to the gizzard for further processing and grinding. So it's possible uh, that during this particular process there may be some uh, um, digestive enzymes, feed, whatever, coming back, or, or maybe the proventriculus isn't closing well enough and some air is escaping in, in that uh, process. So that's highly possible. Um, without knowing you know, more, and obviously it's not being detrimental to the bird, um, there's not much more you can really add to it. It's kind of a novelty thing. It's one of those things to wish you could find out exactly what it was and put your finger on it, but um, um, I don't think I've been ever able to ever do it in that respect. The other one was coming from the respiratory system, and upon necropsy it was a deformed airway. So I guess it could come from a deformed uh, esophagus too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting, got no got doubt. Got yeah. Uh, we've got one more that's kind of like this, but I think it's a little bit more uh, common. I think uh, a lot of folks have, have actually seen this, and um, I think we've even talked about it on the show, and it's kind of related to this, and we'll wrap it up with this uh, this question. My chickens have been sneezing, and sometimes they scra- uh, sh- scratch or shake their heads afterwards. Does this mean they are sick? What antibiotics should I give them, and for how long? Also, should I throw the eggs away while I'm treating them with antibiotics? So, so a lot of times we've seen this. We've seen the chicken sneeze, and then they just kind of shake their head back and forth, back and forth. We may or may not see anything come out of the nostrils or, or the mouth as far as fluid or liquid, but but I think anybody who's had chickens for any length of time has probably seen this on occasion, Peter. Yeah, and it can be caused by any number of things. Um, ear mites, ear canker will cause uh, these kinds of things, uh, uh, the uh, the opening to the ear canal uh, basically comes out in the roof of the mouth at the back of the of the nasal cleft. So uh, it's it's possible that there's some irritation goes on there. Um, it certainly could be a respiratory uh, issue of some sort. Um, so any number of things really can can cause that. Uh, the issue uh, as to whether or not to um, uh, medicate 
to me, would be based on whether or not this was a persistent, ongoing, daily, day-after-day uh, type of a situation. Now, if, if you come out today and uh, the birds just finished eating, drinking, or interacting with some other birds, and it sneezes, shakes its head, and walks off, and you don't see it happen again, I don't think I'd be too concerned about it. Uh, I do believe uh, when you see something that is not what you consider the norm, uh, it's your obligation then to pick the bird up and examine it. So we look for mites in the ears. We look for any untoward uh, growth. Untoward just means something that doesn't belong there, okay, or an event that's taking place. So you want to look in the ears. Um, did a great article uh, in the uh, in the uh, Chicken Whisperer magazine concerning uh, ear canker, where it comes from, what it is, and, and, and so on. Uh, so you may want to go and read that's free online, uh, one of the best uh, uh, publications that I've ever seen overall. And um, so you might want to take a, uh, take a look at that. Um, look in the mouth. Is there anything in that nasal cleft, uh, any gunk or, or anything else? Uh, don't always have to have a snotty nose. Uh, look down the throat uh, and see. Uh, is there any canker down there? These uh, orange to yellowish, bleached out, yellow-looking things look, almost look like uh, these lesions will look like food stuck in the mouth. Often are taken for that, and then they take hold, and then they end up killing the bird. So it all depends uh, where you're going with it. depends on the, the frequency of it. Um, so let's assume that you do decide that you need to use a medication. Uh, I, I like as a first line of, of, uh, of medication because it's powerful when it's concentrated, it's inexpensive to buy, and it's easy to use, and it can be highly effective, and that's Oxytet Concentrate. That's just a concentrated form of oxytetracycline. Um, you would have known the uh, old one as teramycin, which was not concentrated. Uh, it did come in a concentrated form, but most people didn't buy that. They bought the cheaper one because it was cheaper or didn't know any better. Uh, but uh, uh, the oxytetracycline uh, in the drinking water, and then, yes, there are egg-eating issues, uh, that's a whole other can of worms. Uh, if you decide to medicate, you're on your own. Um, a uh, withdrawal at least two weeks uh, after you finish using the medication, maybe even three. The big issue comes from not that the fact that you're going to get cancer from the uh, any residue that may be there. The, the rub comes from if the egg has... Uh, any appreciable amount of, uh, and when I say appreciable, we're talking in parts per billion, uh, of the oxytetracycline there and an individual was uh, uh, sensitive to it, then it could become an issue, okay? Um, so if the bird were mine and I determined through an evaluation process that there were no mites, there's nothing in the ears, there's nothing in the mouth, but the bird continues to, to shake its head, um, then I, I might consider uh, medicating. If I start a medication program, I would do it for at least 10 days. Uh, and for the Oxytet, two teaspoons in a gallon of water works very, very well. Um, and um, the difference between the old teramycin and the concentrate is uh, the old teramycin was a 6.4-ounce bag, 181.4 grams, only had 10 grams of oxytetracycline in that bag. The concentrate is 280 grams but contains 102.4 grams of oxytetracycline on an active ingredient basis. The Oxytet is 10 times more powerful than the bag of teramycin was when it was available. And that's that. Good deal. We appreciate it. And that's going to wrap up another show. 
Peter, we uh, appreciate you coming on. Great information. Some great yep. questions today, uh, as always, yep. from our fans and listeners. So you got to love that. And uh, this will be uh, – oh, well, we got 90 seconds, so the, says the lady in my ear. So, well, thank you very much for coming on. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All the yep. great stuff. Enjoy it with your family and friends. Same to you. Look forward to the new format on the 2016 show. Looking forward to that as well. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, everybody else. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We look forward to seeing you back here in 2016. We do have new schedule, new format, new guests, new regular guests. Um, I think you'll really enjoy it. We're revamping uh, revamping all of the uh, commercials, making them more streamlined, um, just, just really uh, uh, better quality sound. We're really uh, wanting to upgrade the uh, upgrade the show a little bit. We want to do this to increase new listeners, bring back old listeners, and then, uh, of course, keep our current listeners as well. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Thank you very much for tuning in, and God bless everybody. Aww.